Well, good morning. I'd like to read from you, to you from the scriptures in Luke chapter 9. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son. He is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him. And suddenly cr he cries out. And it convulses him. And he foams at the mouth. And it shatters him. And it will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out. But they could not. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him down to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, again, good morning, and God is good, amen? And God loves you, amen? Do you believe that? You know, sometimes it's really easy to believe that during the mountaintop experiences of our lives. You know, when things are going great, when you just got a raise, when your kids are obeying you, when you're getting along with your spouse, when everybody in your family is healthy, and when there's extra money in the bank, and when the people that you care about love you, and when they're pleased with you, it's easy to feel like God loves you. But then there are the valleys of life, when our kids are rebelling against us, when we lose a job, or our relationships are not going well, when there's more month than money, and when someone betrays us. And sometimes we all can be tempted to doubt God's love for us. It's also in those times of brokenness that we can often look for our own solutions to fix our problems. And often those solutions, the things that we choose to fix or medicate our brokenness actually make things worse. In our text today, Jesus' disciples are literally, last week, on a mountaintop experience with Jesus. They have an experience where they see the glory of God and, and they're in his presence in a way that no one in history has ever been before. It's so fantastic that Peter just wanted to camp out there forever with Moses and Elijah. The mountaintop experiences are only one way that God reveals his glory to us. God often also reveals his glory to us in the valleys, in the brokenness of life. If we will seek him there and not run away. See, often in brokenness, we get a beautiful perspective of the majesty of God that we can't get from the mountaintop. You know, there's a Puritan poem that I really love. It's called The Valley of Vision. I'm going to share it with you. It goes this way. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the valley of vision, where I live in the depths, but I see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by the mountain of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart 
is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have and to possess all is, is the victorious, that to have nothing is to possess all, and that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, and that the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from the deepest wells. The deepest wells, the deeper the wells, the brighter the stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, my life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley. Beloved, if we're going to follow Jesus, there are going to be mountaintops times and there are going to be valley times of our lives. You know, one thing that trips us up into sin is that we have this false belief that there is this good track of life in terms of our experiences and that there's this bad track of life in terms of our experiences. And we falsely believe that if we can only get on the good track of life, everything will be okay. If we can just stay on the good track of life. But see, that's not the reality. That's not the truth of life. Life is more like a train track where we go down the road and there are pleasant and unpleasant experiences happening all the time. And we simultaneously run it down both tracks at the same time. And the truth of God's love for us is the power, that powerful engine that keeps us rolling down through life successfully. And he gets us to the good destination if we trust him. See, the point of life is not what track you're on, but whether you're traveling with him. Being on our own track, whether we consider it a good track or a bad track, is actually what leaves us broken. So today, in Luke 9, 37 through 45, let's look closely at God's word so that we can roll joyfully down the tracks to our ultimate destination with God. Verse 37 again says, On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son, for he is my only child. You know, even Jesus' disciples went from mountaintop times, the best day ever, hanging out with their heroes, to common brokenness within a day. Why should it be any different for us as his disciples if we follow Jesus? You know, understanding that it's normal to go through brokenness can cut down on some of our frustrations in life. When we know valleys are normal, it can increase our joy in them because When they come, we can be excited to see the spectacular view of what God will do to take us through that. You know, disciples immediately met a father who was broken. You know, maybe other things in his life were actually going well. He may have had a good job. He may have had good friends. He may have had a wife who loved him. 
But this man had a deep problem he couldn't solve. His only child was sick. And the man heard from the crowd about a teacher, Jesus, who, who heals people. And he had come to find him. And, and at this point, this man is simply looking for a fix. He had faith that God had a fix for his son. And he heard about this good man, Jesus, who helps people. But the man does not ask Jesus to heal his son. He asks him to look at his son. Now that's faith. The man is trusting in the mercy of God that if a man of God sees his problem, he will act and heal his son. In Mark's gospel, we see a little more transparency of the interaction between the man and Jesus. He says to Jesus, if you can do anything, which shows he believes someone can do something, but he's not sure if Jesus is the one that can. And, and Luke describes what is creating the brokenness in this man's family's lives. And behold, the spirit seizes him, meaning the son, and he suddenly cries out and it convulses him and so that he foams at the mouth and it shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. See, the physical symptoms of the boy um, show that this boy is possibly suffering with epilepsy. But it's interesting, Luke who's the doctor, a man of science, doesn't record epilepsy as the, the, what's the diagnosis. And, and epilepsy was something that was diagnosed in the first century. Luke says the cause of his illness is spiritual. It's caused by a demon. And the other gospels give us more detail. They said when this evil spirit came upon the boy, it would make him mute and it would throw him on the ground and it would make him rigid like a board, and he would grind his teeth and he would foam, foam at the mouth. And the spirit was actually trying to physically harm the boy. It would, it would often make him fall into the water or, or fall into fire. This spirit was actually trying to destroy the boy, but it was also destroying the parents' lives for it was happening all the time, so it was disruptive to their lives. And, and it was their only son whom they loved. And, and maybe some of you parents can relate to this man's brokenness. Maybe you have a child right now that is self-harming or is self-sabotaging themselves in, in, in some way and, and, and they are choosing maybe a wrong relationship or maybe they're cutting themselves or they're using drugs or they're engaging in some sort of self-destructive behavior and you, you just don't understand what is happening to your child. And so this man is there begging Jesus for a solution. But, but instead of a solution, Mark's gospel tells us that there's a dispute going on because he had come to the crowd and, and the scribes and the crowd and the disciples, instead of giving him a solution, they're arguing. See, this broken man is seeking help and the people are just arguing about the problem instead of giving the man any help. And, and maybe that's why this man begs Jesus not for a healing first, but to simply look at the problem. It's most likely that the crowd and the disciples and the scribe were arguing because there was no understanding for the man. There was just a lot of judgment and there was a lot of blame. Maybe the scribes were trying to determine whose sin was at fault here. Maybe it was the mother's sin or the, the father's sin that caused this problem. Maybe the crowd had judged that if they were better parents, this kind of thing wouldn't have happened to the boy. They should be watching him more closely. It sounds like the disciples, they had tried to heal him, but they got distracted in the argument and got caught up in it as well. 
And the crowd was there really not to see Jesus because they were caught up in the argument. There was nobody that had taken time to have compassion on what this family was going through. And so this man comes to Jesus and says, will you look? Will you understand what is going on? Beloved, sometimes the greatest thing we can do is just be there and listen to the broken. Now, when Jesus sees the people arguing and the broken man, he says, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. I like what Mark records Jesus saying. Bring him here to me. Beloved, if we're going to be fishers of men, this is what we need to do when we see brokenness. Bring the problem to Jesus first. We don't bring our opinions first and argue. We don't bring our religion first. We don't bring our judgments, even if we think we're right. Friends, we bring Jesus first. When someone's sharing a problem, we must learn to ask questions instead of make statements. Jesus asked a question of the broken in the crowd, the disciples and the religious, regarding their faith. And he asked that to let it hang out there to get them thinking. And while they're thinking, he compassionately asks the man, a question too. And Matthew records, he asked the man this question. How long has this been happening? How long has this been happening to your son? Now, now, why did Jesus ask that question? Jesus is God. He knows all things. He, he knows the answer to why, how long this has been happening. He asked it because it was healing for the man to talk about it. The man then felt understood. The man then felt loved when Jesus listened to him share the problem. Jesus also helped the man discover his real problem as he shared the story. The, the real problem was he believed God, but he really did not believe God would help him. See, there were two letters in the way of God helping him, I and F. He believed God was able, but he had been traveling so long on maybe a bad track in his life and his thinking had started to become distorted. And maybe he believed now that he was undeserving of God's ability to help him. And it was because of his mistakes and maybe he had heard the crowd and, and he now felt himself to be an unlikely candidate for help at this point. And, and so when Jesus heard this word, if, because he, he said, if you can help to the Jesus. When he heard that in the man's story, Jesus said, if you can, all things are possible to him or to the one who believes. See, Jesus is getting to the real problem for the man and also the real problem for the crowd and the real problem for the scribes and the real problem for the disciples. Our faith in the true nature of God and his goodness and his love for us, even when things are not good in life. 
He got there by entering into the man's brokenness first, not offering a a fix for the perceived problem first. And, And when the man discovers the real problem, he says what? Help my unbelief. The man doesn't ask Jesus to fix his son. He believes Jesus can do it. He acts, his actual words are, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, now this is not just his problem, problem, friends. This is not just his problem. This is everybody's problem. Isn't it? We all need help with our unbelief. We don't believe that God is good and will meet our needs. And that, that is why we turn to our own way of doing things. And that departure is called sin, where we seek other solutions first. And see, this man sought the scribes, and he sought the disciples, and he sought the crowd. When he really should have just trusted God for the problem. And the disciples and the crowd and, and the scribes all offered solutions, but they had not trusted God. Not according to Jesus. That's why he said, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Who did he say that to? All of them. But he said it with a question. See, it's a diagnostic question to all of them and to us and to the man. The truth is we all have, according to Jesus, everyone has failed God in their faith. There are not, there's not a righteous one out there in their faith in God. You know, maybe the scribes and the disciples and the crowd felt more righteous in their faith and they felt sorry for this poor broken man that had no faith. But Jesus is saying the truth is none of you really have faith like you think you do. Jesus is saying you're a generation without faith, which is perverted. That's what that word twisted means. It's perverted. You've been lied to. At the core, you really don't believe that God is good and that he loves you. A perversion has crept in deep inside you called sin that distorts the truth of your reality. And you call good evil and you call evil good. And you have traded truth for a lie. To even question the goodness and love of God is the most perverted act of the universe. And it's the cause of all your rebellion against me. An enemy has deceived you to believe that you are good and that I am somehow bad. You actually trust in your circumstances more than me. I created you. I gave you life. I gave you food and every resource to sustain your life. How much longer must I withstand the cosmic insult of your ingratitude because you have... No faith in me. The fact 
that I am compassionately here, standing in the dirt, bearing this, proves my love for you. I'm standing here in the midst of your brokenness to help you with your unbelief. If you'll just admit the problem. As the man starts to bring his son to Jesus, now we see why um, Luke, the doctor, does, di- does not di- diagnose this as just mere epilepsy. In faith, he sees the true reality of the spiritual problem clearly. There's a battle going on here between good and evil. There's something behind the, the medical problem. That's why we need to first take all problems to Jesus. All problems are really spiritual first. See, God's design for our lives is perfect in every way, but sin entered our world. And when it did, creation was thrown into frustration. That's why things become broken in our lives. And, and when we seek to fix our lives without God's solutions, even when the solutions seem good, we can do damage and, 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 and not find restoration even when we think we're doing good. Often the ways we try to medicate or cut away problems without dealing with the root when we're not seeking God, we, we create more damage. See, it doesn't matter how good our surgeon is. If he's blind, he can do damage. And, and sin has made us all blind or, or, or deceived. And if we're not seeking Jesus first, even if something seems successful, we could be creating a bigger problem if we're not asking the designer. And and often Jesus, if you look at the scriptures, is casting out demons while he's healing the sick. Now, is a demon responsible for every sickness? No, not directly. But there is a demonic lie that has caused all sickness. And it's that we could be our own gods and that we could fix our own lives and our own problems. And, and true restoration of our lives coming, comes from coming back to the truth of our need, our desperate need for him, for our healing. And, and so after Jesus helps this man emotionally by listening to the problem, Jesus was going to start the process of restoring the boy physically by removing a, a deceptive spirit that was lying to this boy's mind. The spirit made this boy obey the demon's commands and harm himself physically rather than God's perfect design of life for the boy. And the proof of the problem, the problem with spirituals, what happened to the, 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 the boy when the man tried to bring the boy to Jesus, things temporarily got worse. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground, convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And and friends, this is why a a two-track system of thinking um, just doesn't work. If we just think that if we're on the right track, everything will be okay. That's That's a dangerous spiritual lie. Because sometimes we consider good circumstances as that we're on the right track. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean that's true. And that the bad circumstances, you know, are that we're on the wrong track. So that, those are distracting lies the enemy can give us that have false meanings to them. See, Jesus wanted the boy to come to him for healing. And the demon makes it painful for the father to bring the boy to Jesus. Now, if the father had interpreted that that was the bad track for his son because a demon caused the the boy pain, 
the boy would not get healed. When the text says the demon threw the boy down, the meaning in the Greek or the phrase is like a boxer throwing a knockout punch to the boy. Laid him out. Friends, we have an enemy that does not give up easily. Sometimes doing good is often more uncomfortable than doing evil. We need to fight or resist the devil so that he will flee from us. See, the demon has his teeth into this kid and he's not going to let go till he can do maximum damage to the very end. But thankfully, he had a father who was persistently fighting to get his son to Jesus. You know, too many parents assume that they're on the wrong track when their teen complains that they're bored at church. And so they don't resist. They give in to that pain. They assume wrongly that if their children are entertained and happy and doing what they want to, they're on the right track in life. And so they indulge their children with all kinds of pleasures and distractions and toys and entertainment and activities and fun opportunities, hoping that that will make them successful in life. And then when later they're they're in life, the devil throws their kid down. They come back and they blame God. They blame the church. They blame their kids. And sometimes they blame themselves. But blaming doesn't help. They need to help their kids with their unbelief. And they need to stop believing the lie. You know, this word disciple comes from the word discipline. You know, our adversary, the devil, is a disciplined liar. That's what scripture tells us. Jesus tells us he was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar, the father of lies, John 8, 44. Friends, his tactic has not changed. He always uses circumstances to lie to us and tell us that God is not good. He started that way. He says, it's not fair. You can't eat from that tree. God said that. You you don't have to listen to him. You can do better on your own. That's not a good circumstance, but you can do better on your own. And and when we try to do better on our own, he gains control of us by that lie. When he lies to us that God's provision is somehow not good enough or complete. And when, when he gains control of us, he destroys us. So what tactic do you think he's trying on your kids? He's disciplining your kids and you to a two-track system. Dads, it's your job to bring them to Jesus, one track. Train your child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs 22, 6. Moms, single moms, or wherever the dad is not doing it, bring them to Jesus. There may be pain. There probably will be pain. Fight, fight for your kids. Fighting is saying no to the good track lie. No to the complaints and yes to Jesus. What does God's word say? For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastises every son he receives. Hebrews 12, 6. See, this father loved his son enough 
to pick him up and get him to Jesus, even though it meant pain for him and his son. Now, the crowd might have made fun of his parenting. It might have been embarrassing in front of the perfect religious scribes. This kid was possibly foaming at the mouth and falling into water and falling into fire on the way to Sunday school. The disciples even might have told the parents, boy, they lack faith. But instead of listening to their fears and the ridicule, he was disciplined. He listened to Jesus who said, bring him to me. And so his son was healed. Here's the truth. None of us have perfect kids. We have an enemy who is lying to them. And who has lied to us. And we've all made bad choices. But if you love them, you will help them to resist the lie in whatever way you can. If they're adults and they're not listening to you, pray them to Jesus. Don't sit there feeling like a failure as a parent. You're not. Don't listen to that lie. God was a perfect parent. And he put his kids, Adam and Eve, in a perfect place. And they still chose to believe the lie and rebel against him. And they became deceived. The problem is not you. The problem is sin. The problem is not your kids. The problem is sin. The solution is Jesus for the restoration of all. God's Jesus, all God's children, bring them to Jesus. Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit. He applied the authority of the truth over the lie. Jesus got to the source of the problem, which was sin. He did not rebuke the father for not getting them sooner or for not watching him closely enough. Jesus rebuked the spirit and he healed them. Again, the source of the problem was sin. That's why we bring problems to Jesus. But there was still a physical healing to be done. See, when the lie was removed, then true physical healing was possible. Jesus gave the boy back to his father. So a relational and emotional healing was now possible. See, something before had owned the boy, a lie, a lie that made him harm himself. A lie um, that harmed his family. But when the lie was destroyed, healthy relationship could be restored. The spirit had made the son mute and deaf and resistant to the father's protecting authority and love. But now that was gone. A new relationship meant the boy could recover and pursue God's design of a healthy relationship and physical health again. See, friends, that's a picture of what God does in the believer's life. When the power of sin is removed, proper protective relationship with our Heavenly Father in our lives is restored. It doesn't matter what the circumstances of our lives are. Wholeness comes back to our lives. The boy changed from being self-destructive and unresponsive 
to a person who's back in his father's arms. The change was so dramatic, Luke says in verse 43, that all were astonished at the majesty of God. See, God had showed his majesty on the mountaintop, but now he showed his majesty in the valley of brokenness. And there were more to see that more there to see it, weren't there? See, sin and brokenness are common everyday occurrences in humanity. If we only look for God in the peaks, we may miss him trying to stand above people. See, Jesus is always ready to show his majesty, the majesty of God to the broken, if we will just join him there. While they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying. It was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Now the crowd and the disciples and the religious were marveling at what Jesus had just done. They were astonished by the circumstances that this boy had been delivered from a stubborn, nasty demon. A problem had been solved. They saw God had done something miraculous through Jesus. But they missed the important meaning. What they truly should have been astonished by. See, most in that crowd thought now things would be on a good track for that man and for his son. But the truth was, they and everybody else would fall prey again to the enemy's lie. Because every one of them would have trouble again in their lives, living in this fallen and broken world. You know that dad and that son and all there would eventually die, no matter what track they were on. Do you remember that That man's problem was not epilepsy. It was not a demon. What was it? Unbelief. The man said, Jesus, help me with my unbelief. Jesus healed the boy. He helped him see God's love personally for him. But the crowd still had the same problem. They were just astonished with somebody else's miracle. They believed, but they needed help with their unbelief. So Jesus said to them, let these words sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And what Jesus is saying is, don't be astonished that God healed a boy with a demon. Be astonished that God would give his son to save you all from a demonic lie that God does not love you. Especially when your life doesn't appear to you to be on a good track. Jesus says, let that sink into your ears. I came to die for you. Be astonished by that. It will help you get down both what you consider the good and the bad tracks of life. The Son of Man is the title Jesus uses for himself. That means he is God. 
as surely as Jesus delivered this man's son from demons, God is going to allow his one and only son to be delivered into the hands of men, a race possessed by demonic lies. And the lies that they're under will allow them to enact maximum cruelty on his one and only beloved son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. Beloved, that's truly astonishing, isn't it? Jesus surrendered his life. We didn't kill him. He didn't choose the good track for himself, although he could have. Instead, he chose death so that we could live, that we could be forgiven of God's wrath for our sin because he chose to die in our place. The, the Bible says, greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. Friends, that love is what's astonishing. And then three days later, he walked out of the grave again, which was proof that he can take a faithless and twisted, perverted generation and help them with their unbelief, walking them through the valley of the shadow of death, fearing no evil if they will simply follow him. Jesus has conquered the grave, bearing the sin and the shame caused by our unbelief. Jesus has defeated the liar forever that says God does not love you. Beloved, the circumstances of your life or what track you're on does not matter. It does not matter. It doesn't matter what you've done. It does not matter or what you will do. What matters is his love. The Apostle Paul says, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angel, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor anything to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, your part of creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let that sink into your ears. That they, day they did not understand God's love for him. Somehow it was concealed from them. Jesus had plainly, plainly told them. So they were still caught up in the baggage of that demonic lie that kept them perceiving from perceiving the truth of God's love for them. And the text says they're afraid to ask him about it. And perfect love was standing right in front of them. The one who would bear their unbelief on the cross to help them believe. Beloved, your fear that God doesn't love you is a lie. It's a lie that's there because of your sin and because of your shame. He came to die for you because he loves you. Repent of your sin. 
Repent of your unbelief and take yourself to Jesus. Believe and be free. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Period. Accept and believe. Turn to him and believe. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you. That in so many ways, through your word and through your son and what he did on the cross, you have proclaimed your love for us. Father, let us repent of the demonic lie that has caused us to sin and turn to you and believe and destroy the power of that lie. Let us walk with you in truth and in love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Lord, may all your saints stand right now and sing to you of your love. Sing to your Father of his amazing love. In Jesus' name I pray. If there's anybody here that needs to come and be prayed over, come to me, but come to Jesus and I'll pray with for you in Jesus' name. Come and pray. Don't let fear hold you back. Pray. Dedicate yourself to Jesus. He is the one that can solve any problem in your life, whatever it is.